We're looking tonight at the third in the current ongoing series of the commendations of Christ, the commendations of Christ. And with the Word of God open before us, we'll bow, please, in a further word of prayer. Again, O Heavenly Father, we call upon Thy name. We think of how this woman prayed. And even if we derived nothing else other than what she said, have mercy on me. Help me. Then those cries alone uttered from a sincere heart with persistence, as was encouraged here, would be of enormous benefit unto every single one of us. Have mercy on me. Help me, O Lord. And we pray that this will be the entrance into our praying, and it will be thee in heaven pleased to answer the humble cry of thy people. Teach us much in the time we have from this passage tonight. We ask it in Jesus' name and for God's eternal glory alone. Amen. I have the thought in mind coming to the passage as we have done tonight, Matthew 15, verse 21 to 28, that it may be one of those times when our Lord has been much misunderstood. And we all may have our opinion as to what was happening here, and that opinion may be right, or it may be wrong. But we have a Canaanite woman, that's the central character here, uh, coming to our Lord, and she comes with a huge problem, that is, there's a demon-possessed daughter that she has at home, and she longed for that child to be set free. And no doubt she heard one day that Jesus was nearby, had known something about Him, and although she's a Gentile, she goes to Him, and as we've noted, pleads for mercy and for help. But apparently he takes no notice of her at all. In verse 23, and we'll deal with this in greater depth in a moment or two, but he doesn't answer her. And worse, when he does actually get round to opening his mouth and addresses her, he likens her to an animal, a dog, no less, in verse 26. And so, all of this seems to be so ill-fitting, like a piece of a jigsaw when you're seeing all the miracles of Christ, and He's healing, and He's helping, and He's calling people, as He did in John 6 and 37, to come on to Him, and He will not cast them out. And yet, we've got this piece in the puzzle. All the other pieces have fitted in so snugly and smoothly, and it looks wonderful, but there's an ill-fitting piece that no matter what we do here does not seem to go in. 
The piece doesn't look like the little hole in a jigsaw that's meant to take it. And we'd love to squeeze it in. Well, I believe we'll find it to be rather better fitting than what we initially think, because in spite of that attitude that our Lord normally would have shown uh, to those around Him, come and welcome to Jesus, come unto me all ye that are weary, heavy laden, I will give you rest, Matthew 11 and verse 28. And we've only traveled a few chapters, and now we find that here is a woman who is taking Christ up on His offer and invitation, and she has come to Him, and it seems that He has just pushed her to the back of the queue, if not entirely out of sight. But before the passage is completed, we have our Lord exclaiming to this woman, because of who she is, what she has now done, O woman, great is thy faith, verse 28. She not only received His commendation, but also the answer to her largest petition, the healing of her little girl. That's it, an overview, but what about the detail, and why was there this jarring episode before we get to the point of commendation and this acknowledgement of her wonderful faith? Think, first of all, of the circumstances of her faith, the circumstances of her faith. That faith in her, it was great, as her Lord probably designates it. It was great because, number one, who she was, number two, where she found herself. We're told in a corresponding passage in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 7, verse 26, we're told she was a Greek, a Syrophoenician by nation. So, she was a Gentile, not part of the Jewish race, and from that Jewish standpoint, she would have been an outcast, and they would have collectively called her a dog. We have in John chapter 4 and verse 9 a contrast and a comparison at the same time. We have the woman at the well. And she is outside of the fold in the family of Israel. She's a Samaritan. And yet the Lord seeks her, and that's where the contrast comes in because we are coming at the opposite angle here. In the case of the woman at the well, it was Christ who approached her. He sought her out. He went to the well at a time when He knew she would be there, and she came unwittingly, not realizing or expecting anybody to be there at all, far less the Messiah to be there at Sychar's well that day. He came looking for her. But by way of contrast to Matthew 15, this Syrophoenician woman, this Greek, she comes looking for him. So she has heard he's in the vicinity, and she hot-foots it to the place where he is, and she has a mission, a burden that is eating into her soul. She comes as an outsider. In Ephesians 2 and verse 12, we're having her described as one of those strangers to the covenants of promise. And yet she believed, though I am a Greek, though I am a Syrophoenician, though I have no real claim on the promises that were given to the Jewish nation, still have I come to this Jesus, and if I throw myself entirely upon His mercy, I am confident that He will heal my child. There is no doubt 
that the Jew once did have a huge advantage over the Gentile. You can check it out in Romans chapter 3, the verse 1 and 2, and chiefly we're told there, because unto them were committed the oracles of God. They received the word of God directly. They had access to the law and to the prophets, and therefore they were reading of God's mercy. They were finding the gospel preached to them through that Old Testament. And you'll remember the apostles, when they're proclaiming the good news, their reference points are the Old Testament Scriptures. Jews with access to the Bible, they have access to the message of salvation. But those Gentiles who didn't receive the Scriptures by the hand of God, they did not have that opportunity. Scripture, of course, presents our Lord's moral standards. We think of the moral law in Exodus 20 for one example, and they have it with clarity, they have it with power, they have it well discerned, and they have it delineated for them there. And there are Gentile codes and laws in the other nations, but none of them are anywhere close to being a match for God's holy moral law that He gave. Deuteronomy chapter 4, the verse 1 through 8. But through the Jews, the Word has come to us. It means today, with the Word coming to the Gentiles as well, and we have it all fleshed out for us, the whole story, the background to why it happened, how it happened in the book of Acts. And so the Gentiles, through the conduit of the Jews, now have received the Word of God as well, meaning no race of people has prior claim upon our Lord for His salvation. Why do I say that? Because I read that in Romans 10, verse 12 and 13, for there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek, for the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon Him, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord, shall be saved. And so here's this woman, you could argue, slightly ahead of her time, and she's running to Christ, and she's pleading for mercy that she knows is in Him. Those are the circumstances of her faith. Think of the concentration of that faith, the concentration of that faith. Faith is only valuable if it has the proper object to rest upon, if it is anchored in the right place, in the right person, of course. And her faith, this is why it was so great. It was concentrated on Christ. All of her dependence was on Him, and you see that through everything that she says. In Mark, Going back to that passage again, Mark 7 and verse 25, we're told the woman heard of him and came and fell at his feet. That's how faith always begins. It only ever sprouts legs and produces hands and does something when it hears with the hearing of the ear the word of the Lord. Romans 10 and 17, faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. What did she hear? She must have heard what others had heard in the synagogue of Nazareth, for example, when in Luke chapter 4, verse 18 and verse 19, our Lord speaks of why He had come, His purpose in being on the earth. And He's quoting Isaiah chapter 61. 
in that synagogue in Luke chapter 4, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. She must have known something about that. Who told her of those things? We don't know. What we do know is when she heard, she believed. That's what happened. She accepted the testimony that she had heard about Jesus Christ, and she began no doubt to reason, and the reasoning would have gone something like this. If he, as I have heard, is able to cast out demons from others, he's able to do the same for my little girl. He's mighty. He's loving. I've heard that. I've seen the evidence of that in all that I've known about him, and I'll ask him to do it. Lord, have mercy on me. He can do it. I believe He will. And we have heard of all that God is able and willing to do. It is no secret what God can do. And we have trusted Him to save us, Hebrews 7.25, to the uttermost, to cleanse us on a daily basis, 1 John 1 and 7, to make us His children, a one-off union brought into the family and owned as his child. Ultimately, he will say, Behold I and the children which thou hast given thee. And so her faith is zeroed right in on Christ, his person, and his work. She sees nothing else. She makes her appeal nowhere else. It's right to Jesus she comes. So we've noticed the circumstances of her faith, the concentration of her faith. Look thirdly at the conviction in her faith. The conviction in her faith. Our Lord tells us her faith is great. And it's great, of course, because it didn't waver in the face of tremendous testing. And when you look at the passage, what testing this woman came through. Now, faith will always be tested. That's a given. 1 Peter 1 and 7 definitely underlines that when it says, the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. Lord, those trials of faith are tough. Of course they are. Those days of testing, I don't relish. No, we don't. They can be fiery, but they're building up that huge reward for those who were tested and passed the test might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. I'm suggesting the woman's faith here was tested in at least four ways. Tested first by the silence of Christ. And so back to Matthew 15, verse 23, we're told she went to Him, she made plea to Him, but He answered her, not a word. Spurgeon said, 
and he's going back a few centuries, a lot of centuries, and he's leaning on what Augustine said, and Spurgeon says, as Augustine says, the Word, Christ, spoke not a word, and that was so unlike him. He who was always so ready with responses to the cry of grief had no response for her. He practically ignored her. He was testing her faith. He knew, always did, what was in man, what was in woman. He knew that she had faith. He knew that whatever the rebuff, she would persist in her pleading. And he was waiting for that faith of hers to find full expression that day. And notice that she was not discouraged to the point of giving up and walking away and, oh, he's not interested in me. He doesn't want to know, doesn't want to hear me. She didn't do that because of her Lord's apparent denial. Rather, she waited. And she held on, believingly. So that was one test, met by silence. After her enthusiastic and humble appeal, then another test, the solution for Christ. And his disciples were told in Matthew 15, 23, came and besought him, saying, send her away, for she crieth after us. Now, I know many people have argued that they're thinking about their own comfort, and they're thinking more about their comfort than of the woman's need. That's for sure. But it should be noted, in case we think those disciples are acting ever so harshly and just saying, get her off the scene, hide her in the shadows, ferry her away, have nothing to do with her. I don't believe that's what they were saying. Because I find the same verb, send away, appears in Luke 2 and verse 29. And it's spoken by Simeon. Lord, having cradled the Christ, having had his heart's desire fulfilled, not denied, fulfilled, he cries, Lord, now lettest thy servant depart in peace. You can send me away now because mine eyes have seen thy salvation. Everything I've ever longed for, whatever I've dreamed for, all of these years of my life has been satisfied now in holding and seeing Christ the Savior. I can go now. And therefore, the thought behind this word, send away, is to dismiss, but with the desire satisfied. In other words, Lord, send her away by giving her what she wants. The easiest thing in their eyes Lord, you have the power to fix the problem. Do it. And she'll stop crying and pleading and pulling at us to get your attention. And she determined 
she will hold on until she receives the blessing she needs so much. She can't afford to go home and find things the same as when she left. Great faith persists until its desire is fulfilled. Another obstacle, test. There was a problem when Christ was silent, but when He began to speak, His speech brought up another issue in verse 24 and 25. And what He said to her must have seemed to be totally, finally, irrevocably closing the door to blessing. And you know what? She just took her toe and she stuck it in the door. And she was not having that door close. But he answered and said, I am not sent but unto the lost sheep of the house of Israel. He meant his primary ministry, of course, was to the Jews. Whereas here's a woman who's a Gentile. But how does she react to that? When he speaks, it doesn't sound like encouragement. Rather, another pushback. But she throws up a quick telegram prayer. Lord, help me. I'm under your authority. I'm owning your lordship. I've nowhere else to go. Thou alone hast the answer for me and for my household. Lord, help me. All that you say may be true about being sent to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. I accept that, but please help me. Spurgeon, I quote him again, he said, I commend this prayer to you because it is such a, I like the way he describes it, a handy prayer. Lord, help me. A handy prayer. You can use it, he said, when you're in a hurry. You can use it when you're in a fright. You can use it when you haven't the time to bow your knee. You can use it in the pulpit if you're going to preach. You can use it when you're opening your shop. You can use it when you're rising in the morning. It is such a handy prayer, uses the terms again, that I hardly know any position in which you could not pray it. Lord, help me. And what a simple, but what a strong prayer that is. And sometimes how weak our faith is that it doesn't even get this far. Lord, help me. So she's moving through these tests. The silence of Christ, the solution for Christ, the speech of Christ, the similarity from Christ, because our Lord in verse 26 calls her a dog, or more literally, a little dog. And that is not as demeaning or dismissive as it first sounds, because what our Lord was actually doing is softening the traditional Jewish slur towards all Gentiles because they call them dogs in the most derogatory sense. Our Lord is not comparing her to the dogs, those wild animals out roaming and ravaging in the streets. 
but to the household dogs, the little dogs that belong to the family. They have their portion. They get their food, though it's not on a par with the children's food, but they are fed. And that's why the picture of the table comes to her mind. He's testing her faith. And once again, she passes the test. Matthew 15, 27, and she said, Truth, Lord, yet the dogs eat of the crumbs which fall from their master's table. And she's been calling him Lord throughout. He is her master. Though she's a Greek, though she's from Syrophoenicia, she trusts him. She wants to be at his table. She admits, I'm coming in a limb from a low estate here. I don't demand to be seen or called as a child, but only to be blessed as that little dog in the family with some of the crumbs falling off the table. Just give me that, because that will be enough. That is the extent of her faith. And so we come to the conquest in her faith, the circumstances of her faith, concentration of her faith, conviction in her faith, the conquest in her faith. And that's what we find pushed into Matthew 15 to verse 27. She accepts. She doesn't argue or dispute the Lord calling her a dog or a little dog. She wears that description, but you know what she does? She just turns it all around to her advantage. Every test she used as if you were crossing a fast-flowing stream, but there are stones dotted from one bank to the other bank. And though the stream is flowing, she goes over the stepping stones and uses every test and every obstacle as a stepping stone to get to where she wanted to get to to get mercy from Christ. And so she accepts Jesus' description of her. She asks for mercy despite that or maybe because of that. And though he gave her three repulses and pushbacks here, she would not give over. And so like Jacob, she's effectively saying here, Lord, it's not really going to matter how low I have to go. What you say, I will not let thee go until thou bless me. I'm here. I've started my appeal for mercy. It hasn't changed. I'm asking thee to help me. And I'm staying until the blessing is given. The final thing, after all of that, no surprise. The circumstances of her faith, the concentration of her faith, conviction in it, conquest in it, the commendation of her faith. And that faith that day was so richly rewarded. 
Those rewards are mentioned in verse 28 of Matthew 15. And the greatest, of course, is what our Lord now says about her. His commendation, then Jesus answered and said unto her, O woman, great is thy faith. Be it unto thee, even as thy wilt. And her daughter was made whole from that very hour. Finally, finally, eventually, here's an encouraging word coming from Christ. And do you know what? He never said this directly to any other person. Oh, did he not say that to the centurion? He did compliment the great faith of the centurion who asked him to heal his servant, Matthew 8 and 10, but he said it to the crowd, not to the centurion directly. But this Gentile woman, she hears it from the Lord directly. O woman, great is thy faith. Her faith was great enough to receive her request, what she had desired from the Lord. And just in conclusion, in, in summary here, why was it such a great faith? Our Lord, note you, He highlighted her faith above any other virtue that she may have had. And we can see instantly from the chapter, one virtue she did have, she was humble. Another virtue we see here, she was patient. Another virtue, she was persevering, and she cared for her child. But our Lord does not compliment any of those good things about her, but only her faith. Great is thy faith. That faith showcased his ability, opened the door for his honor and glory, and he was pleased to walk through. Her faith was great because it was unlikely. Nobody would have expected a Gentile, not a Jew, to trust Jesus as much as she did. Her faith was great because you'll have noted also in the passage that she worshipped Christ before the answer came. Her faith also was great because it had been tested so severely. Take it like an elastic band and you just pull it right to its furthest extent. You can't take it any further. It's on maximum stretch. That's what it was with her. It's hard to think of a greater test than what she had every single day in her life up to this point of having a demon-possessed child at home. That was a big test. That was a severe test. But that faith is also tried by the seeming indifference or coldness of Jesus but it passed every test with glowing report. Her faith was great because it was resourceful. She was clever. She took her Lord's word. 
not meat, to take the children's bread and give it to dogs. And she just turned it inside out and made what could have been taken by others as an insult into a door that was opening for faith. Yes, Lord. I'm content as a dog to take whatever crumbs fall from your table because I know that will be all sufficient. Her faith was also great because it concerned a pressing present need. She wasn't thinking about something that might just happen in the future. She was living with this need in the present. This was a current problem right in front of her face, a real need that she could not and would not possibly deny. Many people can seem to exercise faith when the issue isn't right in front of them. But when the issue parks itself at their door, that faith can often crumble. But this issue is inside her house, but her faith did not faint. It was also great because, and this is the key thing, I guess, it would not give up. She didn't stop until she got what she needed from Jesus. You could say in a way that her faith conquered Jesus, and He wanted to be conquered. He not only healed her daughter, but He did it immediately, something, again, that she hadn't even asked for. She was content for help, for mercy, but He did it immediately so that when she went home, the deed had been done. It's remarkable when you think of it, that what our Lord did here, He traveled over 50 miles, traversing rough mountainous country to get down to Tyre and Sidon. And He met this woman. And it seems to be this is the only thing, it's the only thing in record that He did in this area at this particular time. Nothing else this was his mission. And immediately after bringing blessing to her, he went on to Galilee. So it appears his only divine appointment, the only date in his diary, was to meet the desire of her heart. And he went all this distance to meet her need and that of her afflicted daughter. It tells me what a long way the Savior is prepared to go to bless one soul. And of course, He was willing to go all the way to Calvary for us. All the way to Calvary, the hymn writer puts it, He went for me. He died to set me free. Lord, have mercy on me. Lord, help me. Lord, I'm here, and I'm staying here until you hear me and you heal my daughter. 
what a commendation of true faith this really is.